Hal Anderson. He's got a face for radio. He's a very pretty man. On 680 CJOB. Well, you know I can be found. Cheap trick. I felt like a little cheap trick today, so I thought we'd start the show with some cheap trick. How you doing, everybody? Tuesday, happy Tuesday. Lots coming up on the show here today. You can just let that run, though, please, Jeff. I Maybe I'll get you to crank it up when it gets to the good part, my favorite part. Um, coming up on the show today, I sort of let you know some of the stuff that's coming up when I was talking to Kelly. By the way, Kelly in for Kathy Kennedy, who is sick today, but she was in for Jeff Courier. So lots of filling in happening around here. It is the first day of summer on Thursday, and summertime means, you know, people are off and doing stuff, but hopefully Kathy Kennedy will be feeling better and be back in the air chair tomorrow. I want to start with some bomber talk. Bob Irving, last night, Coach Mike O'Shea on the Coaches Show here on CGOB. I want to play back a couple of minutes for you. And by the way, I I just checked in with Behind the Glass Jerry, and the Bomber podcast is very, very close to ready. So that'll be available very soon. Oh, turn it up. Here we go. Don't be cruel to a heart that's true. Don't be cruel to a heart that's true. Sorry about that. I'm in a weird mood today because uh, I was crying through a movie last night. I'll tell you later on what movie it was that I was crying in. Great movie. I highly recommend it, but you got to wait until later on. And by the way, not one, but two. Both of the couch potatoes will be on the show today. I got Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun in. Uh, after the news at 2.30, we're going to talk about horror movies. One loves them, one hates them. And there is a doctor in the States who has weighed in on whether or not horror movies can be bad for you. Remember The Exorcist when it came out in, what was it, 73, 1973? There were people fainting in theaters. Uh, well, I looked it up today because I thought that there were some people that apparently had heart attacks. But uh, I guess not. Here's what I found out about The Exorcist today. There were people that fainted. Uh, Apparently, there were people that were institutionalized, whatever that means. I guess they, you know. And uh, there was at least one miscarriage, but I could not find any real reports of heart attacks. But this doctor uh, from the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix weighs in on scary movies and whether or not they're bad for you. So we'll talk to the couch potatoes about that, all right? That's after the news at 2.30. After the news at 1.30, Lynn Fernandez joins us from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Uh, They have come out today with an alternative budget for the city of Winnipeg. So we'll see what Lynn has to say about that. At about 1.45, quarter to 2, Dr. Mark Tremblay joins us. Participation report card is out. D plus the grade that 5 to 17-year-olds are getting and so we'll talk to Dr. Tremblay about that. On Tough Trivia today, yesterday we got busy and kind of jammed up and backed up. So we uh, made it easy yesterday. Today I'm going to make you work for it. If you get the correct answer for a Tough Trivia question, you'll get Melissa Etheridge tickets. And Melissa Etheridge will play Club Regent Event Center July 8th. So stand by right after the news at 2. We'll give you a chance uh, to win those tickets. And over on Notre Dame today, they're digging up some old streetcar tracks. 
And uh, that got me thinking about an article I read by, by uh, Brent Bellamy. You hear him on the air here every once in a while. He's got a column in the Winnipeg Free Press, and he's an architect over at Number 10 uh, Architecture. And uh, he is a guy who thinks maybe we should bring back the streetcars. So we'll talk about that with Brent today. And I, when I chatted with him this morning, he was on his way over to take a look at these uh, old streetcar tracks that they were digging up today on Notre Dame. Uh, muchos kilos, me, Shaner, and Timmy, my band, the big guys. We have a new song. It's called a spinoff because apparently they're going to go ahead with a spinoff without Roseanne. They're going to focus in on uh, other members of the family. And Roseanne is is apparently out and has agreed to that. Apparently she'll get a one-time payment. She doesn't get paid, but because the character was created by her, she'll get sort of some go-away money. And then they'll uh, carry on with the with the spinoff. So we'll see how that goes. And Doug Weeb is going to join us in the 3 o'clock hour as well, CEO of Red River Co-op. They have grocery expansion plans. Red River Co-op wants some more stores. We'll talk to him about that and the grocery wars that are out there. Man, there's a lot of uh, different companies competing for your grocery business. So we'll talk to Doug Weeb about that. And, yes, uh, as promised, I will uh, let you know what movie I was crying through last night. It was really good. I didn't expect it to be very good. I was sort of at the start when when Jackie said, "Do you want to watch this?" I went, "Yeah, okay." Uh, but boy, it was it was really good. I I think because Father's Day just happened. It's a great story about uh, a kid and his dad. And uh, I think I was thinking a lot about my dad, missing my dad, and it just got me, got me right there. So I'll tell you about that, and uh, we'll play some music from the movie coming up as well. So as you can see, we have lots to get to. So let's take a break and come back and talk Winnipeg Blue Bombers, shall we? Hal Anderson on CJOB. All right, going to start with some bomber talk here at 114 on a Tuesday. Hopefully you're having a great day. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Hopefully you can stick around uh, through the entire show. If not, I get it. You're busy, but thanks for tuning in for a bit here. I appreciate it. So we got another injured quarterback. I don't know if you heard this or not, but Alex Ross uh, joins Matt Nichols uh, with an injury on the sidelines. It happened during that missed field goal uh, in the third quarter of that uh, loss to Edmonton. So the call goes out, and uh, the Bombers have brought in Mitchell Gale, a former Toronto and Saskatchewan quarterback. He was going back to his Oklahoma roots by working on a ranch in Alberta at the Innisfail Pro Rodeo. And he got the call, found out he was getting back into football. Love the CFL. And uh, so Bob Irving, last night on the Coach's Show with Mike O'Shea, asked Mike about this new Bomber quarterback, Mitchell Gale. Oh, he's got experience. He's He's been on a CFL roster for four or five years, you know. Bits, bits and parts of four or five years. We were together. I was coaching in Toronto when he was there in 2013. I believe that was the year. So, I, you know, I have some some knowledge of him, I guess. Uh, I think he's a, uh, a guy that can learn a playbook. He's been in a bunch of different systems. Um, and, and, you know, he understands the CFL game and CFL defenses and, and those type of things. So he's going to be a, a much quicker study than bringing in somebody fresh. So when the season began, or was about to begin, your number two and three quarterbacks were Chris Streveler and Alex Ross, and Matt Nichols is number one. So of those three, you've lost two. Uh-huh. You feel good. Bit I feel unlucky. Fine. No, come on. 
I feel quite the opposite. We're 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 good. We we found we found Chris Treveller and 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 we've signed Brian Bennett and uh, Mitchell Gale. So we're we got three quarterbacks and they have CFL experience and the one who's starting doesn't, but uh, he's improving with every rep. I ask you this every year, and you give me the same answer all the time about don't you ever have these moments where you go. What have I done to deserve this, or why me? Or no, it's never. Just, it's just the way it goes. It's just sport, right? It's you football. It. Yeah, it's football. Okay. More than sport, it's football. You don't feel sorry for yourself. No. You don't whine. No. Okay. Well, I have to ask you. I just have to ask you if every now and again. It's like you don't believe me. No, I do believe you. No, no, I've gotten to know you well enough to know that uh, <laughs> you are the way you are, and you're. Uh, you just take things as they come. You have to. Yeah. We've got good coaches. We got we got guys that that want to play, that are ready to go, and 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 coaches that are going to put them in good positions. So, okay, the game on uh, Thursday night. Um, gosh, it started at seven thirty and ended at I guess one eighteen. And you've been through a couple of games here now where there were delays, but nothing like that. What was that like? It actually went by fairly quickly, you know. It it didn't seem like that. Now it was pretty tired at the end. Uh, I got to admit, but uh, players just kept on rallying and rallying every time somebody threw a curveball at us. They just would bear down and hit hit it. So um, would have obviously thought we were going to pull out the win, and and the players were certainly um, they gave themselves a great chance, you know, by their by their preparation, their stick to whatever it is, uh, they weren't phased at all, I don't think, by the uh, by the delays. It was uh, close to midnight, I believe, after the second delay in the game resumed for the final time. And there were still, I don't know how many thousand fans were there, but uh, were you surprised at how many stuck around and the noise they, they made? Were, they were loud. It yeah, was fantastic. They were. And they sort of, the, the, the fans sort of filtered down behind the bench and were hooting and hollering and yelling and making noise when they needed to always always an educated fan base they they know what to do when to do it so it was uh it was a great treat for us to see that um the, the players certainly appreciated it uh and you know now they're a part of i guess some sort of folklore history yeah they certainly are few minutes of our Bob Irving, of course, Hall of Fame broadcaster, voice of the Bombers with Bomber coach Mike O'Shea. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy listening to the coaches show on Monday nights. They seem to have a great rapport and a relationship. I just like listening to the two of them talk. So there's a few minutes for you. Uh, Mike O'Shea, coach Mike O'Shea, Bomber coach Mike O'Shea, last night also talked a little bit about how they need to finish the games a little better than what we saw the other night. Closing out is going to be one of the things that we need to... Uh, be better at and and uh, it's interesting to to pinpoint what that is you know is mm-hmm. is is pretty difficult because mm-hmm. you know the same plays you're making for you know the majority of the game you just at the end uh, they they catch one or two more passes on you than they did earlier in the game and they they move the ball a little bit yeah. um, couple mm-hmm. passes you just gotta you know bear down and and um, and and make a play. Bomber coach Mike O'Shea answering questions from listeners and fans last night right here on CJOB, the coaches show every Monday night from 7 to 8 o'clock on CJOB. And also required listening, as far as I'm concerned, if you are a Bomber fan, is the Bomber podcast. And every week, 
uh, Greg Mackling sits down with Doug Brown and they do the podcast and then behind the glass, Jerry kind of puts it all together, makes it all pretty and makes it available at cjob.com and also on Google Play and iTunes. And Jerry sits right next to me out in the newsroom. And as I came in today to start the show, I said, is it ready? He goes, should be up very shortly. So if it's not there yet, it will be very soon. And uh, as you know, I like to tease you with a bit of the podcast. So you go and listen to the rest of it. Here is... Greg Mackling asking Doug Brown about Chris Strebler, our quarterback, and how he played against Edmonton the other night. Chris Strebler made his debut at quarterback, Doug. His numbers weren't spectacular, but they weren't horrible. Yeah, you know, it was a solid debut for a guy that has never played Canadian football before. Came into the game. What I was most impressed about was how he wasn't faced. And, uh, you know, his ability to stay focused and to overcome uh, some of the difficulties he had initially. Uh, I mean, the very first play he was in there, he was sacked, I believe. Uh, second series, he was in there, he threw an interception. And yet, you know, for, for a lot of guys that are new to professional football and in your first game ever, that would those would be mental obstacles that you would not be able to overcome. You wouldn't have the confidence to be able to continue on. He was able to get past that. He was able to brush it off. And he was, I don't want to say he was unflappable out there, but he showed an incredible amount of resilience uh, to end up throwing, you know, uh, three touchdowns on the night. And uh, he bounced back very well. So I think it was, I think he showed a lot of potential. I think he showed a lot of promise and something to build off of. Obviously, when it comes to rookies, rookie quarterbacks especially, you want to see them build. You want to see them evolve and, and not regress and improve every week. But, you know, he's got a lot of those fundamentals that uh, make his future seem promising. Doug Brown, Greg Mackling, the Bomber Podcast. Like I said, if it's not available yet, it will be in just minutes at cjob.com, Google Play, and iTunes. And as I have said before, I thought Chris Drebler was solid, and hopefully he will improve as uh, Doug was just saying. So we get ready now to take on Montreal Friday night, and we'll have it all for you here on CJOB. Today is uh, June 19th. Today is Garfield the Cat Day because uh, it was on this day in 1978 that Garfield, the comic strip, debuted on this day. Uh, International Day for the Elimination of Sexual Violence in Conflict. It's Juneteenth. Never heard of that before, but it's Juneteenth Day. It's Kissing Day. It's Watch Day. It's World Sauntering Day. And it's World Sickle Cell Day today. Um, I told you later on we're going to talk with the couch potatoes, both of them. Uh, Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun about scary movies. We'll see what their favorite scary movies are. And I've also got uh, some information from a doctor at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix uh, on whether or not scary movies can kill you. There's been some way back to The Exorcist, which as far as I'm concerned is probably the best horror movie of all time. So I'll ask you, what's your favorite horror movie? 204-780-6868. Hal at cjob.com. Weigh in on that. And then, like I said, uh, after the news at 2.30, both of the Couch Potatoes, Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun, will be here to talk about horror movies. And are they bad for you? Uh, Been a lot of talk, and we'll get into this later on, about children being separated from their parents as they enter from Mexico into the U.S., And Donald Trump has taken a lot of heat over this. 
he can change the way this is being done. Absolutely. He goes, well, it's a Democrat uh, law. They brought it in. And, you know, but listen, he's changed all kinds of things with executive order. And he can certainly do that in this case. But as you know, immigration is a huge issue in the states. And he wants money for his wall. And I guarantee you, this is a bargaining chip, and we'll see how far he takes it. But, boy, I'll tell you, the pressure is on him big time to do something about this, to stop this. I mean, small children being taken from their parents. Uh, we're seeing, you know, photos and video, and we're hearing audio of kids calling for their, you know, papa and mama. And uh, it's just, it's heartbreaking to see. So we'll find out uh, what uh, happens with that. And like I said, we'll... Talk more about that later on. You're going to let me know your favorite horror movie, 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. We're going to take a break here for the 130 News. TFJ is uh, standing by. And then after the news at 130, Lynn Fernandez joins us from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. They've come out with an alternative budget for the city of Winnipeg. We'll find out uh, what is in it. And we'll also open up the phones and take your emails on that too. 204-780-6868. Hal at cjob.com. What do you think uh, should be in the budget? What should we be spending more on? What should we be spending less on? Also, next half hour at about 1.45, quarter to 2, Dr. Mark Tremblay on the participation report card. And I'm curious to know, do you like the idea of bringing back streetcars in Winnipeg? I think it was the 50s when the streetcars kind of disappeared in the city of Winnipeg. And over on Notre Dame today, they're digging up some old streetcar tracks. And so we're going to talk about the idea of bringing back streetcars with Brent Bellamy, an architect and columnist, and he'll join us at about 2.15. So lots for you to talk to me about, 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. We'll continue with Hal Anderson Afternoons after the 1.30 News next on CJOB. 133, Hal Anderson here on CJOB. Lynn Fernandez joins us now from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. They are out with an alternative budget today for the city of Winnipeg. Good afternoon, Lynn. Good afternoon. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate this. So, uh, My pleasure. Tell us about your alternative budget. It's been public now for about an hour, hour and a half. What's in it? Yeah. Well, we just released it at City Hall, and this is an exercise that we go through in in uh, election years because we find it's it's a good way to get some ideas out there and talk about some of the issues that are facing facing our city. Um, we think that the budget is arguably the most important document that any government puts out, and uh, so we like to take a look at it and think of mm, trying to get some new ideas out there. We in, we in, involve community members. Community members help us put the budget together. And it's a great way to open up discussion for the municipal election, uh, which is why we timed it the way we did. And um, when community members get together, it, it gives them a framework to connect a variety of issues and to explore policies that are working in other places. It really gets us sort of outside the box, and it, it opens up spaces for politicians uh, to think about doing maybe the right thing, because uh, we know how hard it is to bring in new ideas, to do things like raise taxes, to get people to really buy into fighting climate change and poverty. So uh, we just think it's a nice vehicle to uh, to open up some discussion. So uh, some people might say, climate change? What does that matter to the city of Winnipeg, that level of government? Explain. 
Well, uh, certainly Winnipeg can't control the broader macro issues it has to deal with, but we can still prepare for the changes that are coming. A uh, city can, can take on policy to meet climate change with policy to mitigate the damage. And in our budget, we talk about, for example, upgrades to the um, west uh, or the north end um, water pollution control center, which needs to, you know, those upgrades need to happen so that we can protect uh, Lake Winnipeg. Right. Um, we're, we bring in an, an organics diversion program, so that's a way of dealing with climate change. And um, we also are really concerned about urban sprawl, the effect that that has on producing greenhouse gases and policies to decrease urban sprawl and to try to get people out of their uh, out of their cars and to increase funding to improve public transit so people actually prefer to use the bus over their cars. All right, a few things that I noticed, the words that stuck out for me, and I'll, I'll give you the words and then you uh, give me, a, you know, 30 or 45 seconds on it. I, I see you sort of spotlighted the province. Where's the province? Exactly. Um, we think the province needs to be uh, much more engaged with the city and helping the city uh, deal with these issues. As I said, these are broad macro pressures that cities cannot necessarily deal with on their own. So there's a few ways that the, that the province should be happy. And first of all, they need to reverse that, that the, the, um, the cancelling of the 50-50 operating funds to transit. Um, that caused the city to have to raise uh, transit fares, and that is sending the wrong message to people. It's telling people to get out of the bus and into their cars. Um, also, the, there's going to be a lot of revenue coming in from the carbon tax, and we need a dedicated stream um, to updating our public transit system and allowing the city to do more with dealing with, with, um, uh, with climate change. So we, we really, uh, it's, a, it's a plea to the province uh, to come to the table and help out the city more than it has been. Mm-hmm. Um, you're worried about uh, spending on police. You're worried that's getting out of control or, or might get out of control. Well, uh, the two criminologists who did this uh, analysis for us, the criminologists from the uh, University of Winnipeg, um, they, I think, did a really good analysis. And, and I mean, here, here's some, some, just some facts that kind of get get the um, the the brain working. Mm. In 2000, police service, the budget for police service took up 16.9 percent of budget expenditures. By 2016, that was up to 26.6%. So it increased by 10% in that period. Public works, on the other hand, went from 22.8% to 20.5%. So that's going down. But more worrying is all other departments went from 47.9% to 34.9%. So as the police budget swells, other other budget lines have to go down. And we argue or uh, these um, uh, Professor Dobchuk Land and Professor Walby argue very convincingly in this chapter that it's not policing that actually prevents uh, crime or gets people out of crime. It's, it's spending in things like social housing, um, education, getting people decent jobs. These are the things that eventually bring down your crime rate. And as we quit you know, as we transfer money from those departments into the police department, then, um, you know, we're not, we're not solving the problem at all. So if we keep spending the way we are on policing, by 2030, 40% of our budget is going to go to policing. One more here uh, for you, Lynn. Transparency. There's a word we heard a lot from Mayor Bowman, and it's in your alternative budget. Why is it there? 
Well, we we have some, I think, some very good ideas in the planning section about um, about how to imp- increase tra- transparency. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism about about a lack of transparency at at City Hall, and um, our our transparency section looks at ideas like better reporting on council decisions, um, uh, connecting people better so that they can be more um, more participative in, in City Hall politics. And also, um, she talks about much-needed electoral reform in City Hall as well. So there's just it, it's hard for citizens to get involved in city politics because there's all kinds of obstacles that prevent people from actually knowing what's going on. Well, and that's uh, that's why I wanted to have you on today. Uh, you know, I can only have you on for a, a short amount of time, unfortunately. This is a huge issue, and we can only touch on a few things, but I think it's important that that dialogue happen, that discussion happen, because a lot of times, you know, uh, citizens of Winnipeg and, and taxpayers, well, it's budget time, my taxes are going up, whatever, and it, they move on. And I think it's important that we engage in conversation and dialogue about these various areas. Uh, People may check out your alternative budget. They might not like some things in it, but at least we're talking about it, right? This is the whole point. This is the whole point of the, of the exercise is to get some conversations happening and to put some ideas out there. You know, we open up space that politicians might be afraid to go into, right, because they're worried about getting reelected. But sometimes we've got to push people beyond that, and that's the whole point of this document. If people want to see it, they want to see more, where can they find it, Lynn? They can go to the um, Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives website and uh, they can go to, let's see, I've got it right here, um, policy www.policyalternatives.ca. Go into the Manitoba office and you'll find, you'll find the document there. Policyalternatives.ca. Lynn, thanks That's a right. lot. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Lynn Fernandez, yes. Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. They are out with an alternative budget for the city of Winnipeg today. And again, uh, 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. Maybe you want to comment on some of the stuff we talked about there. But uh, where do you think we're not spending enough money? Where do we need to focus more attention in the city of Winnipeg? Uh, Do you agree that uh, the money we're spending on policing needs to be shifted to Stuff like uh, better housing and things like that. According to Lynn, that will bring your crime rate down faster than putting more uh, boots on the streets. Do you agree? Disagree? Um, Listen, this is a huge issue. It's so confusing and complicated. And, you know, I mean, even this uh, document from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives uh, is, you know, long and uh, confusing. It's just a snapshot compared to the actual budget. But as I told Lynn, and I really do think it's important that uh, we at least uh, have conversation about the budget and some of the stuff in it. Uh, Tim just texted to 204-780-6868. Tim says, need to upgrade the bus service. Haven't we already spent over a billion on rapid transit? Clearly another terrible decision made by our City, And that sort of goes to something we're going to talk a little bit about at around 2.15, just over half an hour from now. Brent Bellamy, architect and columnist, will join us on streetcars. What do you think of the idea of bringing streetcars back? I, I love San Francisco. 
And that's one of the really cool things about San Francisco. You know, it's it's 2018, but they've got the streetcars. Could we maybe do something like that here? Would that maybe help the mayors? Uh, you know, a lot of people aren't crazy about opening up Portage and Maine. Is this something we could do that will help move people around, but will also be sort of a tourist attraction and, and make uh, our city more appealing to visitors and even citizens of Winnipeg at that street level? What do you think? Brent Bellamy, this architect and columnist who will join us. You've heard him here on CGOB before. You read his column in the Winnipeg Free Press. He thinks it might be worth looking at that. And we bring it up today and have him on today because they're digging up some old streetcar tracks over on Notre Dame today. So we'll talk to Brent Bellamy about that again, about quarter after two. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Mark Tremblay about the participation report card. Not a great grade. Details on the way. Hal on CJOB. All right. The annual participation report card is out. Basically, Canadian kids need to get off their phones and get moving, as you'll hear in this report from Global News reporter Diana Foxall. Just 35% of kids aged 5 to 17 years old are getting enough physical activity. And more than half of those kids are getting too much screen time. This year, the report focused on the link between physical activity and brain health. It says kids do better on tests when they get a bit of exercise beforehand, compared to spending the same amount of time cramming. Experts also noted the connection between higher levels of movement and lower levels of anxiety, stress, and depression. They say more physical activity boosts self-esteem in kids and encouraged government officials to continue promoting health at a policy level. Thank you, Diana. And joining us on the phone now to talk more about the participation report card, Dr. Mark Tremblay. Dr. Tremblay, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. So boil this down for us. Again, not a great grade, huh? No, I wouldn't be happy if it was my kid coming home with this uh, with this grade and 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 sadly it's consistent with what we've been reporting for uh this now the 13th report card. Yeah, 5 to 17 year olds get a D plus and you're saying that's a similar grade to past years, eh? Yeah, um right now around a third are meeting the minimum target for daily physical activity and and that's consistent with what we've seen over uh, most of the last decade. And physical activity, but there's sleep in here too. Maybe explain the breakdown. Yeah, Canada has moved in the last uh, few years to a 24-hour paradigm recognizing Uh, That from a movement perspective, and frankly, from any other perspective, that the whole day matters. So the same way that uh, when we we think about our diets, we include all the food groups and all the meals of the day. And if we're assessing things, that all, you know, that all goes into the equation. In the past, when it comes to movement, we focused singularly on exercise, moderate to vigorous physical activity, as we call it. Um, And it's mostly what you and I and our kids don't do which is kind of interesting that we focus on um, something that, for the most part, we don't do. And even if kids are meeting the guidelines, that's one twenty-fourth of the day. So we've gone to this whole-day paradigm where we recognize that any benefit that you might get from physical activity or the likelihood that you're going to do physical activity is predicated on whether or not you had a good night's sleep. Do you wake up groggy or do you wake up fresh and ready to go? Uh, and similarly, the, the you know the health consequences of your physical activity are implicated by how much time you spend sitting in front of a screen throughout the day. 
And so that's why you see sleep in a physical activity report card and you see sedentary behavior there as well. And indeed, one of the grades is the 24-hour movement behavior grade. uh, And indeed, it's an F with um, around 15% or so of kids basically living a healthy day from a movement perspective. That is just getting a good night's sleep, minimizing or keeping their uh, recreational screen time to no more than two hours and getting that one hour per day of moderate or vigorous physical activity. And this is on mom and dad, right, Dr. Tremblay? Like this is the parents that have to accept this grade more than the kids, I would argue. Well, I think I think we can probably spread the blame, you know, and and so certainly the parents have a, an important role to play, but so so does the school, so mm-hmm. does the community, you know, the places that provide opportunities, uh, perhaps to compel a child to be physically active, go outside and do something instead of stay inside on their screen. Well, that that might be as much on on the community design and community opportunities as it is on the parent. Um, so so I think you know there, there's quite a few of us that are to blame for this, but uh, the long-term consequences make the efforts that we need to do worth it. Is there hope for a better grade? Well, I hope so. Um, uh, And and I think there's opportunity. And in this year, uh, with the focus on brain health, we're hoping that we can can trigger um, a little more interest and a little more commitment uh, as parents realize that, you know, the physical activity is is good not only for building a strong skeleton and and the muscles around it and, and heart and so on, but it's also good for building a strong brain. Uh, and and for a lot of people that will resonate because that's that's the future of their child and their contribution uh, to society and so on and um, and it's all part of the piece a healthy healthy body uh, equals a healthy mind yeah and the only reason I ask is there hope for a better grade because you say that you know the report uh, this report card's been around for a long time we we aren't seeing a whole lot of change and if anything we're seeing more phones and iPads and screens to distract the kids from getting up and doing something, right? Yeah, and so that's the countercurrent that we're working against, right? Um, That we've got more and more very engaging, very entertaining, omnipresent now, um, uh, small screens. Uh, And we almost always use them um, when we're sedentary. Uh, so there's health implications of using the screens excessively in and of themselves. And in fact, yesterday there was a big news story about, about screen time addiction, yeah. which is you know an interesting evolution of, of the world. But it also then displaces time that we would spend without a screen that might be outdoors, that is certainly in three dimensions instead of two. Uh, and these, of course, have health implications. And so, so we're fighting against this current of all of us enamored with uh, what we can do with these little gadgets. Um, kind of losing touch with some of the basics, which is just the need to interact with the outdoors, to interact with people in three dimensions, to move, to not sit all the time, and to get a good night's sleep. And and, and we've obviously, as the, the report card reports, we've lost that balance. Mm-hmm. Doc, you've done a great job explaining this. Anything else you want to mention before I let you go? No, but just hearing your weather forecast, there's no reason for people uh, there in Winnipeg not to get out and get active. No kidding. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Dr. Mark Tremblay joining us on the Participation Report Card. Again, 5 to 17-year-olds getting a D+. And he's right. The weather uh, today, beautiful. Uh, What are we at? 27 degrees right now? 28 degrees. Uh, right now and tomorrow, 
32. 32 again on Thursday for the first day of summer. Sunshine and very warm temperatures. So, you know, after listening for the last several minutes, if you see your kid on the phone or on their iPad or tablet or whatever, maybe go, hey, why don't you put that on? Put that down and go out and play in some dirt. <laughs> go and play in some dirt. That's something else we don't do with our kids enough anymore, you know? Go play in dirt, right? I don't know. Sometimes I wonder with all the allergies and sensitivities and stuff, you know, just roll your kid around, roll your kid around in some dirt for a while. That might be the best thing you could do. I don't know. Uh, what is on your mind today? Let me know. 204-780-6868. Hal at cjob.com. Maybe you want to weigh in on what you just heard from Dr. Tremblay. By the way, I mentioned we have Melissa Etheridge tickets to give away. Um, Jeff Forche, the producer of this show, tells me that we also have Craig Ferguson tickets up for grabs today. So, my goodness, uh, we are going to have to maybe roll out two tough trivia questions today. By the way, Melissa Etheridge playing the Club Region Event Center July 8th. Craig Ferguson is there October 25th. So a couple of tough trivia questions and some winning coming up on the show today. The 2 o'clock news is next. Hal Anderson on CJOB. Thank you, Diana. You know what? Uh, We have tickets for Melissa Etheridge. We also have Craig Ferguson tickets. Both will play Club Regent Event Center. Uh, Melissa Etheridge is coming up there on July 8th, and Craig Ferguson is there October 25th. So I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's play Pick the Ticket. Tough trivia, answer the question correctly, and you get to pick the ticket. And then whatever's left, we'll give those away uh, to somebody else. But you get to pick between Melissa Etheridge or Craig Ferguson. All you got to do is answer the tough trivia question. Here we go. 36% of us would rather clean the house than do this. Hmm. 36% of us would rather clean the house than do this. Do what? 204-780-6868. You get to pick the ticket. Melissa Etheridge, who you can hear there in the background, or Craig Ferguson. Up to you. Pick the ticket. Special edition of Tough Trivia here on Hal Anderson Afternoons. 36% of us would rather clean the house than do this. Do what? Let's go to the phone. Hello, have you got a guess? Got a guess? Go grocery shopping. Ah, you don't like grocery shopping, eh? <laughs> no. No. I yeah, know. I hear you. Not the correct answer, though. Hi, CJOB. Hi, go to the dentist. Ah, another one, uh, but not the correct answer. 36% of us would rather clean the house than do this. What? Go to the dentist? Just had somebody say that. It is not go to the dentist. No. Hi, CJOB. Uh, paint the house. Yeah, big job. Not wanting to do that. Not the correct answer, though. Hi, CJOB. What's your guess? Mow the lawn. Mow the, you don't like mowing the lawn, eh? I don't know. It's just a guess. <laughs> it's a guess. Yep, it is, but it's not a correct guess. Sorry about that. Hi, CJOB. It's not a correct guess. Uh, for the contest? Yes. What is your guess? Go to work. Ah, no, not the correct answer, but it is something at work. Something that you would do at work. 36% of us would rather clean the house than do this at work. Yeah. You want to take another stab at it? What else? Some, at work. Something at work. Something you might want to avoid at work. Huh? Stay overtime. 
Oh, that's a good guess, but not the correct answer. No, but we gave a hint for everybody else out there. Hi, CJOB. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say that word. All right. Thank you. If you think of something else, call back. Hi, CJOB. Um, I was thinking, um, oh, uh, hold on a second because I'm. Sorry. Right. Well, you hold on. I'll hold on and I'll put you on hold and I'll go to somebody else and I'll come back to you. Hi, CJOB. Hello. Hello. What is your guess? Uh, they'd rather clean their desk at work than clean the house. No, not a correct answer there. Sorry. 36% of us would rather clean the house than do this. And the hint is it would be something you would do at work, something you don't like doing at work. Give that some thought. That's the answer. Hi. Hi. Um, make small talk with coworkers? <laughs> yeah, you don't like that, eh? <laughs> yeah. No, not not the correct answer. Hi, CJOB. I'd say cooking. Cooking, not the correct answer, no. Uh, 204-780-6868, tough trivia. You get to pick the ticket, either Melissa Etheridge or Craig Ferguson tickets. Hi. Oh, man. Hi there. Is it lose the Wi-Fi at work? No. No, but that is frustrating. Yeah. yeah. That is faithful. Thanks, Al. Yeah. Okay, okay, you bet. Thanks for calling in. Hi, CJOB. Hi. Is it to talking to your boss? Ah, Yes, but you have to be more specific. Talking to your boss about what? This is, you ask him something specific, and I'll give you the question again. You're very close. 36% of us would rather clean the house than do this, and it's something you would uh, do with your boss. Think about it. Uh, Careful. Did you say do with your boss? Yeah, it's something you would go into your boss's office and you would do this. Have coffee with them? Oh, I was so hoping you'd get that right. Sorry, I got to move on. Somebody else will get it here. Oh, I better go to the one that I had on hold there. I've left her on hold. Hi, have you got an answer for me now? Yes, asking for a raise. Oh, the timing, your timing is so perfect. Yes, ding, ding, ding. Whoa. <laughs> oh, you were, I forgot about you. You sat there <laughs> and you came up with a correct answer. Yes, what is your name? Pat. Pat, you uh, get to pick the ticket. What do you want? Do you want Melissa Etheridge tickets or Craig Ferguson tickets? Uh, what are the dates? Do you have by any uh, chance? Melissa Etheridge is July 8th, so it's coming up quicker. Colin uh, Craig Ferguson is uh, October 25th. October 25th. Yeah. Okay, July yeah. July 8th is not going to work for me because I'm going to be in Ottawa. Okay, so, so you're going to take... have to do the okay. uh, October 25th one. Which means you're going to see Craig Ferguson. I'll put you on hold. We'll get you all signed up. And that means that everybody else, stay tuned. Your chance at Melissa Etheridge tickets coming up. Right on time, quarter after two, Brent Bellamy joins us on the phone now. Architect and columnist, architect over at number 10 and a columnist at the Winnipeg Free Press. You hear him here on uh, CJOB quite often. And uh, I saw on Twitter today that they were ripping up over on Notre Dame some old streetcar tracks today. And I uh, got Brent on the phone. And and Brent, as we talked this morning, you were about to head out and, and check out the scene over there on Notre Dame. Tell me about it. Yeah, I headed over at lunch. It's pretty awesome. You can see it's a lot of machinery is pulling up some pretty big pieces of steel in the street, and it's they literally just asphalted them over. 
68 years ago or whatever it was. It's pretty cool to see. And, you know, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I wish they could just keep them in and throw a couple of streetcars on top and uh, keep them going because it, it's it's a pretty significant amount of infrastructure under there. Yeah, and this is why I wanted to have you on today because I remember, I don't know if it was a column in the paper or, or on your blog, but I know it wasn't too long ago you were saying, hey, maybe we should look at bringing streetcars back to Winnipeg. Yeah. Cities are starting to think about that again, and it's funny because almost universally across North America, except for Toronto, uh, San Francisco, and I think Philadelphia might have kept a couple, almost every city on the continent ripped up their streetcar lines all at the same time in the mid-50s. And because it was seen, you know, cars were seen as the future and, and no one would want to would want to ride in a streetcar anymore, so it was seen as the future. And, and so everybody did it, and now we're sort of seeing... You know, maybe maybe it wasn't such a bad thing. It, when they closed the streetcar in Winnipeg, the capacity for transit closed or dropped by 50% in one day. So can you imagine today saying we're going to cut half the bus routes in one day? People people would freak out. Like it would be a major thing. And but in in those days it was just wasn't wasn't an issue because the future was cars. But now we're starting to see that you know they can they have such high capacity and are able to really connect neighborhoods in a way that buses and even rapid transit can't do like our bus system sort of is is designed to get people downtown as quickly as possible and sort of out as quickly as possible but it's not really designed to go from St Boniface to Crescentwood or you know to connect neighborhoods and that's what streetcars are we're really great at they they connected connected neighborhoods and i think that's something that i think cities are seeing there's value in that in in sort of tying the city together on a different level so compare the idea of streetcars then to rapid transit. Do you, do you think there would be an argument to be made that maybe we should look at streetcars as opposed to rapid transit, or is or is that just silly? Yeah, you know, that's kind of what I was getting at when yeah. I wrote that article about a month ago. I know. I don't know that it was overly popular with the politicians in the city who are really championing uh, rapid transit. I do see a, a role for rapid transit, but rapid transit is really about bringing commuters downtown um, five times a week. You know, it, it's it, the next line is going from Transcona to downtown. The first line goes out to the university. So it's really about bringing people and stopping as little as possible. But it's not about connecting neighborhoods. And, and even we're finding that rapid transit is reducing access to, to transit for everyday users. If you, if They've reduced the number of buses that run down Pembina Highway now because of rapid transit. So what um, which and it's a valuable thing to get people to to the center of the city as much as possible. Like traffic happens one hour a day, and so if we can reduce that traffic one hour a day, then we don't have to build our streets for overbuild our streets for the other 23 hours. And so what a what a streetcar system can do is sort of pick up that inner city slack that that rapid transit can't. And and so my proposal in my article was to actually run streetcar lines out, say Portage Avenue, Provence Boulevard, St Mary's Road. Main Street, run them out to, you know, say Polo Park as an example, and then have park and ride or something from there that carries people out to the further suburbs. And that would really, um, you know, it really increase the amount of, or focus the, the infrastructure where people will use transit the most was, was my argument. And a streetcar, because the capacity is so high, they become very efficient at moving people. And because they're permanent infrastructure, it's, it's like rails in the road, 
people or developers feel like it's a permanent piece of infrastructure and will want to connect their development to it, which doesn't really happen with buses as much. Yeah. And it seems to me that the idea of bringing back streetcars, and maybe not a whole bunch of them, but, you know, bring some back Mm -hmm. might be a great tourist opportunity, not to mention, uh, you know, the mayor and and others talk about getting people back at street level. It seems to me that this would really work for that. That's exactly it. And, and, most cities that are returning their streetcars, they are focusing on uh, sort of tourist routes, which is a bit of a problem because they have to be designed as transit first. But in the cities that are doing that, and, and in Toronto as an example that where they actually didn't rip them up, they're beginning to almost, they're double downing now. They're, they're buying more streetcars and increasing their streetcar lines because for that exact reason, they're essentially above ground subways. And the capacity, you can put 120 people in a streetcar and, you know, 40 on a bus and you know one in a car so they're they're really great at, at increasing the the uh the capacity of transit and the number of people on the street you mentioned that politicians maybe not crazy about your idea uh in your your article have you talked to any uh, politicians and and what was their reaction or or was it negative uh you know it's a it's a difficult thing because transit struggles right now where you know the the province sort of froze its funding and and we all know the the troubles that transit has and they're really struggling to just sort of stay afloat so big huge ideas like this are are sort of difficult to uh to accept but you know i I, there is we are sort of looking the city is looking at redeveloping its transit plan and its strategy and and the reason i wrote it was not to say we're wrong in doing rapid transit or or any other thing but just to have to present a different idea that maybe as we do think about the future of transit that we can think about the 1950s and how it worked and and you know our city is built on it, the reason our city looks the way it is is because of it was built as a streetcar city the the downtown and all sort of the cent, is the center of a wheel with these spokes heading out you know academy road and st mary's and provence it's it's designed because of the streetcar system so it would be the urban form is there. We could return it back to that quite easily, but you know it's a difficult it's a difficult thing because it's something completely different. But the one thing advantage does have is it's so much cheaper than rapid transit. Like you can build hundreds of kilometers of of streetcar system for the cost of one sort of um, rapid transit line heading all the way to Transcona, as an example. Yeah, and you know what else too? I think Brent, I think uh, it might get people excited about hopping on a streetcar yeah. the yep. way they don't want to hop on a bus now. Do you know what I mean? That's exactly it, and that's why it actually spurs development. You, you talk, we talk about sort of transit-oriented development. Um, developers want to develop close to transit, and we find cities are finding that steel wheels really inspire development because people want to be attracted to it. It's sexy to be, you know, to be totally honest. Streetcars are sexy and buses aren't, no matter how nice the bus is, it's always a bus. And it does, it makes people want to be part of the system and want to take transit if it's more comfortable and it's sort of felt as more upscale than than a bus ever could. Yeah. Uh, Brent, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. All right. Brent Bellamy, architect and columnist. The idea of uh, bringing back some streetcars in Winnipeg. I like the idea. I kind of think it's a cool idea. Now, is it possible? Does it make sense? I don't know. In some ways, it makes a lot of sense, but maybe it doesn't in the big picture. You know? I don't know. What do you think? 204-780-6868. We talked about it today because they are digging up some old streetcar tracks over on Notre Dame today. 
from back in the 50s, 60, 70 years ago. They paved over top of them. They're digging them out now. And here we are in 2018 talking about maybe bringing back streetcars. 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. Scott says, quickly here, uh, text message, our bus rapid transit tore up rail lines to make a bus-only road. We should have used those rails. It would have cost less and lasted longer. No forethought. Yeah, I'm not sure they could have used those, but, you know, yeah. I, uh, listen, Scott, you're making a point that's been made many, many times. Sometimes we just don't think ahead a little bit, and uh, it's definitely uh, uh, good advice, and, and I think it's it's something that doesn't it doesn't seem like it happens enough at times. I like the idea. I thought that was, uh, and you could even, I think you could even hear the excitement in Brent Bellamy's voice as, as he talked about the idea of maybe streetcars being back on the on the streets of Winnipeg one day. All right, uh, we got the news coming up here at 2.30, and then after the news, both of the couch potatoes will be in studio, Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun. We're going to talk about horror movies. Are horror movies bad for you? Um, of course, when The Exorcist was out in the early 70s, they, um, you know, talked about people having heart attacks and all kinds of stuff, right? We'll talk about it after the news with Brett and Jeff. Scott's on the phone. Is this the same Scott on the phone wanting to talk about streetcars that just texted me, Scott? Same Scott? No, different one. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> what did you want to say? Yeah, I, I just took a trip uh, down to the States, and uh, three cities I was in have brought back streetcars. Memphis, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and Kansas City. Hmm. And Little Rock, Arkansas, they they brought back a streetcar. They they made it look just like an old one. Right. But it's a new one, but it's built just like an old one, and, and it goes very slowly. Kansas City, their streetcar is very modern, and it's air-conditioned and uh, quiet and uh-huh. fast and everything like that. Yeah. But um, the one in Kansas City, it's... It goes about two or three miles, and it's actually mainly for tourists, but they're talking about extending it, mm. extending the length of it. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. I kind of like the idea. Scott, thanks a lot for the call. And quickly, Mark, let's see if we can squeeze you in here. Mark, go ahead. Hey, how are you doing, Hal? Good. Great. So I really got to agree with Brent Bellamy on, on his comments on how streetcars are really sexy. I think that uh, that would bring a whole new look to our city and... You know, you see a lot of the older towns, cities that, that do have these, like Toronto and Montreal. And, yeah. You know, even, you know, Calgary kind of had, I mean, they, they have the subway, I guess, more than anything. I, I don't recall seeing a streetcar in there, but yeah. I think, we, you know, it would be great for tourism. It would be great for, you know, it's something that we have. And, you know, yeah. it looks like we always bring back the past. <laughs> yeah, right. What's old is new again. Hey, Mark, uh, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. No, thank you. All right. The news is coming right up. Hal Anderson on CJOB. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. (laughs) The world of darkness. The Exorcist. Classic. And here to talk about scary movies, both of the couch potatoes, Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun. Guys, thanks a lot for doing this. I thought about you guys because I was reading a story. This guy's uh, name is Dr. Regis Fernandez at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix. 
He says scary movies cannot kill you. Because remember with The Exorcist, right? There was all this talk about, oh, people are, you know, fainting. But there were reports that people were having heart attacks. It was so scary. This doctor says, no, it can trigger, scary movies can trigger. I'm looking at you, Jeff. Scary movies can trigger the fight or flight in a human being. But probably, it'll raise your heart rate and your blood pressure. But it won't kill you, Jeff. So see, just go see the scary movies. Because I've actually, that's one of the things that keeps me from doing it is like, I'm actually afraid I would have a heart attack and die at some of these movies. (laughs) And I was like, that's too stupid a way to die. I'm not dying in a movie theater like that. But you won't die. You won't die. Yeah. I I don't know. I I remember when I I did go see It last fall. I know. And I got, I wasn't even, was I on the aisle? I wasn't on the aisle, but I, I knew where the, exactly how <laughs> many the, steps away the aisle was. And what's I was the point like, of being on the aisle? I told my girlfriend, I was like, if it gets too much, I'm out of here. I'll just walk. I'll wait for you outside. I don't care. I'm not. Wow. So, but I made it through that one. You two are funny. And then you love scary movies though, yeah. right, Brett? I do really yeah. like scary movies. Uh, and in spite of the fact that some people say, I hate being scared. Like, why do you like being scared? It's yeah. not a pleasant feeling. No. Mm. Uh, but I don't know. I I like roller coasters. I've gone skydiving. Yeah. I did the ejector seat uh, back in the late 90s at the Red River X. So mm. I guess it's like a, maybe it's a thrill-seeking yeah. thing for me. Maybe it's a, to test my metal to see what my threshold is. How much of this can I take? Right. Because a lot of times I do that same thing where I go see a scary movie and then you put your hands in front of your eyes and you're just kind of peeking <laughs> through. And then I think, well, what am I doing here if I'm not going to look? I paid for this ticket. I might as well watch the. I movie. love scary movies. The Exorcist is a classic. I mean, that's from the early 70s, but it is still a great scary movie. And there's a new one out called Hereditary. Yeah. And they're saying, now I don't know, I never know whether this is a critic's uh, words or if it's just promo by the yeah, people yeah. that made the movie, but they say, <laughs> this is this generation's exorcist. And you saw it, Brett, and you didn't like that much. I was, yeah, I was a little, it could have been the hype machine got me on that mm. one because there was so much hype from horror movie fans. And the right. review, like it's in the high 90s for, uh, its reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know if I just didn't get it. Mm. I just felt like it took too long to get going. Like right. The Exorcist is not the your typical boo, gotcha yeah. kind of yeah. scary movie, but it's scary in the sense that what you are seeing is truly horrifying stuff. Mm. But they sprinkle in things along the way while the movie is building, whereas Hereditary barely sprinkled in anything. It was just very much like a this kind of dark story about a dysfunctional family. Mm. And then in the last 20 minutes, it kind of went insane with the scares. Mm. Uh, And like when it did get scary, it was fun, man. I I love, I love being in a movie theater for a scary movie, seeing people jump out of their seats and stuff. (laughs) Now, what about old, like the exorcist and new, like say hereditary or the Babadook, which I thought was a really well done scary movie. There aren't that many really good scary movies anymore. What do you like? The old stuff, like the exorcist or the new stuff? If it's a real good movie, then I, then I'll, I'll actually like last year I went and watched get out. Because I heard that this is actually a really good film. Yeah. So I was like, all right, let's suck it up and go. And I sat on the aisle and I just, I told myself, if it's too much, just leave. Yeah. You're not, but chained, that's, that you're was not almost, chained to this chair. You yeah. can leave if you want to. That was almost more of a thriller to me, though. Yeah. Than well, a, what about than a Jaws? That's an old one. That's they used a thriller. To call, okay. That's I not think a horror. That's either? a thriller. What do you think, Brett? Yeah, I'd put it into thriller. But for those who are afraid scary. of yep. sharks and stuff, like it is, mm-hmm. it is a genuinely scary film. And with the case with Get Out, even though, yeah, it's a 
thriller. There are some parts in that movie, like when that guy is running full on, like yeah. straight into the camera. Yeah. That's creepy. It is super creepy. Yeah. So it definitely has elements of horror. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to think of like good scary movies that have come out in recent years. A Quiet Place that came out in April. I'd consider that uh, a yep. horror slash thriller, and it was very sensational. Good. Very well done. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned The Babadook as well, because that's a movie that I recently watched, and I kind of had the same feeling about that that I did Hereditary, but I want to give that one another shot. Yeah. Uh, because it was a lot... Uh, Not your typical horror movie, though. Like, it's scary, but it's... I don't want to give anything away, but it's it's different. Yeah. So I think it was yeah. different than what I was expecting. And the same thing with Hereditary. I think I need just need to try it again. Yeah. But, yeah, like when I... A scary movie still has to be good to truly register. I remember going to see... In 2006, The Grudge 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I immediately started laughing at it. The opening scene was was idiotic. <laughs> it has some of the scariest imagery that I've ever seen in a theater, like enough to give you nightmares. Yeah. But the movie was so bad that it all, it takes away from the scares. Yeah. When, but whereas when you get a good scary movie, like I think you've said you like Scream, the scream, yeah, yeah, like first scream. Well, they're kind of fun too. Though. Yeah, there's yeah. some comedy, so it's mm. cutting, and it's not so yeah. serious and frightening. It's like just that. interesting yeah, it's still, with with the two of you, nightmares. with the two of you, the couch potato. It's just interesting because <laughs> you hate scary movies, you like being scared, and I think that's what it boils down to. Yeah. Some people like that feeling, knowing that it's just a movie. Other people don't, and I'd, just, I'd rather laugh. Mm. I say that to people all the time. I was like, you should go see this movie. It's hilarious. So I don't want to. I was like, what do you mean you don't want to? Laughing yeah. is literally the most, you know, it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> so for, if I say for $10, I guarantee you'll laugh for two hours. Why wouldn't you do that? I yeah. don't understand what people yeah. Yeah, yeah there I is guess a, so. There is a reluctance people have sometimes to having fun. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the therapy of going to see uh, a comedy is, is wonderful. And maybe I, I kind of find scary movies therapeutic, although I don't. I will admit, even though I enjoy scary movies, there are some lingering images that st- that gave me nightmares for years. From which movie? There's a movie called The Woman in Black. It was a oh, 1989 yeah. Yeah. British Isn't, TV uh, show. Isn't Radcliffe in that one? He was in the remake in 2012. Ah, okay. But the original in 89, it was. I think I watched it on PBS with my dad. Yeah. And th- there's this scene where this ghost, this apparition, uh, appears while this guy's lying in bed he hears the sound of a baby crying and he thinks what's that and then he opens his eyes and looks up and she's floating above him and then slowly coming down toward him so the camera's looking up at this ghost with this demonic face and she's making this horrible sort of noise and I just think that would I would die of fright in that situation and that kind of that image sort of followed me around when I went to see The Grudge 2, bad movie, but some of the scary stuff, yeah. I, I did not turn any lights off. Yeah. When there I, are, the there lights are, stayed on. Right. There are moments in movies that are scary moments. Yeah. Maybe the movie's not all great, but Like it's, uh, in yeah. Thriller when Michael Jackson turns into the zombie. I yeah. can't take that. Really? Eh? I had nightmares for three months after watching Thriller. But I was I, a little kid when it came out. Though. Well, I was just going <laughs> to say, I think it's different when you're a kid, right? I remember when uh, The Planet of the Apes came out, and I yeah. said to my dad, come on, Dad, take me to Planet of the Apes, right? And I was like, He'll, you're going to be scared? No, 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 I'll be fine. You know, I know they're talking apes. You know, I get it, huh? I lasted 30 seconds. Like, Dad, <laughs> as, as soon as the it was the white ape or the orange ape came out, I'm like, Dad, let's go. Come on. Let's let's get out of here, right? So, I mean, it's different when we're a kid 
But Jeff has not grown up when it comes to scary no, movies. So He's, uh, there's even, even a, I remember our family went to go see Ghostbusters when they came out. I was eight. My sister was five. Mm. And my sister left crying about 20 minutes in <laughs> with my mom. They just, and we're from small town, Altona, right? So yeah. we were watching this in Altona. We were out of town. My sister right. and my mom just had to sit in the car yeah. while me and my dad watched the rest of the movie. And I was like white knuckling it through mm. some of that movie because I was still scared. Yeah. And the part where the wolf comes, wolf dog thing comes out of the chair and grabs her, yeah. I still can't watch it. Well, and I think sometimes <laughs> when you watch a scary movie at the lake, right, you know, and it's super dark yeah. and there aren't a lot of people around, no cottages near, <laughs> it just depends on the setting too and, and where you're I going. A, and I got a story about that too. <laughs> My friends and I were early 20s. We saw Scream 2 at the theater yeah. and then went out to the cabin for the oh, weekend yeah. in the oh, dead I, of winter. Yep. The only cabin around, no curtains on the windows. There you go. Bare trees with snow mm. on them. Everything looked like that yeah. ghost face killer. Yeah. Hey, listen, guys, thanks for doing this. I'm going to tease something up here because I watched a movie last night with Jackie, and it is a great movie. Uh, I was in tears, and it's about uh, a guy who wrote a song, a very famous religious song, and I'm going to talk about it later, and I hope people stick around and and hear about it because whether you believe in God and and all that kind of stuff or not, it's a great story about Hmm. hope and change. But I was in tears. I felt like such an idiot. Jackie looked over at me and she goes, are, are you crying? crying? <laughs> and I don't know if because it was close to Father's Day or or what. It's about a kid and his dad. And Anyhow, I'll talk more about that later. But Couch Potatoes, thank you very much. Of course, you can check them out. Uh, well, the podcast, uh, cgob.com, Google Play, iTunes, or you can catch them right here on CGOB. Noon on Saturdays, 6 p.m. on Sundays. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, thank you, boys. You bet. Thanks, Al. Mom? I don't like this. Dad, I don't like this. What's happening? Tina! Don't you ever raise your voice again. I am your mother. Raise your voice. Mom, what's happening? Oh, scary stuff. That's a clip uh, from that uh, Hereditary movie that we were talking about. Uh, another good scary movie I mentioned, uh, The Babadook. You want to hear a clip from The Babadook? Here you go. Where'd you get this? Shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the babadook. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. The babadook. By the way, uh, this movie that had me in tears last night, I'll tell you about it after the news at three, okay? Coming up on quarter to three, 2.44. Hal Anderson Afternoons on CJOB. All right, uh, muchos kilos, me, Shaner, and Timmy, my band of big guys. We've got a new song here about a spinoff from Roseanne, and I'll get into that story in just a minute. Apparently, Roseanne has agreed to walk away, and the show will go on, or a spinoff will go on uh, without Roseanne after that horribly racist tweet of hers. Uh, while we're talking movies, we just had the couch potatoes in here. Uh, the MTV Movie Awards were last night. I don't know if you watched them or not. Uh, Tiffany Haddish was the host. I thought she was uh, funny. I didn't watch it all. I watched uh, bits and pieces. By the way, I like the MTV Movie Awards because they have kind of different um, categories, you know, like sort of interesting categories. Like, for example, um, she won uh, Tiffany Haddish, the host of the awards last night. She won Best Comedic Performance for her role in Girls Trip. Here is uh, a bit of Tiffany Haddish 
from the MTV Movie Awards last night. I'm always excited to see the Kardashians. <laughs> that family is basically the Star Wars franchise, okay? They make a ton of money. A new one's always popping up. And they're ruled by a bossy overlord who sleeps in a mask and she loves black men, so... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Tiffany Haddish last night. By the way, the Kardashians, uh, they won Best Reality Series, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Uh, before I move on, Ron's been sitting on the phone there for a minute, and I, I kind of forgot about you, Ron. Sorry about that. You wanted to comment on horror movies. Uh, yeah. What you want to say, Ron? I just wanted to say my daughter was born, well, she was a year old when I went and seen The Exorcist. When you, uh, when went, and saw the, when you went and saw The Exorcist? Yes. Wow. When I came home, every time she made a noise in the bedroom, I was scared as hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I was funny. scared to go in there because yeah. I was I was petrified. You know, like like yeah, that was yeah. one movie. Any uh, scary movies again after that? Yeah. No. To, the, to this day, The Exorcist I think is is really the scariest movie of all time. Yeah, it's it's to this day very scary. Thanks a lot, Ron. That was funny. Um, okay, uh, also from the MTV Movie Awards last night, Black Panther, as you might expect, took a lot of the hardware, including uh, Best Movie. It was also uh, Best Performance in a Movie, Chadwick Boseman. And uh, Chadwick Boseman from Black Panther, also the best hero. Here he is accepting that award. I want to thank my parents for believing in me. Um, you know, everybody can't say they want to be an actor, have parents that, that will support you. Uh, I want to thank Ryan Coogler. You are an amazing director. You are the realest of the real. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, love you, man. Uh, I want to thank my cast. You can't act by yourself. You can't be a good hero without a good villain. <laughs> the beautiful ladies that were in the movie, Letitia, Lupita, Denai, Angela, Forrest Whitaker. Man, that cast is crazy. Um, but most of all, I just want to say it's such a joy to be able to do what you love. And to share that with the people that, that I work with in this film is the greatest thing in the world. Thank you so much, MTV. Thank you, fans. Chadwick Boseman, uh, best uh, hero. Uh, Black Panther also won best villain as well. And best show, Stranger Things. Best performance in a show, Millie Bobby Brown for Stranger Things. Um, best Kiss. I just told you the other day about that movie, Love, Simon, which is a renter right now. It's available for rent, and it's a really good movie, and it won Best Kiss. Uh, most Frightened Performance, Noah Schnapp, Will Byers in Stranger Things. And, uh, oh, Best Fight, another cool category. Wonder Woman, between Wonder Woman and those uh, German uh, soldiers in the in the movie. And I think that's it for the wins at the MTV Movie Awards last night. All right, so here's the Roseanne story. Roseanne Barr has reportedly agreed to walk away from the show and character she created in order to allow Roseanne's cast and crew to move forward with a proposed spinoff. After her racist tweet prompted the cancellation of her show in May, the actress will not be involved financially or creatively in the Sarah Gilbert-centered spinoff about Darlene Connor, according to The Hollywood Reporter. 
A Hollywood reporter also reports that cast members John Goodman and Lori Metcalf are tentatively on board and would likely receive the same $250,000 an episode fee as negotiated for the second season of the revival prior to the show's abrupt cancellation. For the Roseanne spinoff to officially be greenlit without bar, she would likely have to waive rights to financially benefit from the spinoff because the original series was created as being based upon a character created by Barr. Though nothing has been decided, if Barr does relinquish the rights, she may still receive a one-time payment or go-away money, according to The Hollywood Reporter. So there you go. That's the situation with this Roseanne spinoff. Looks like it is going to go ahead. Muchos kilos, me, Shaner, and Timmy. New song called A Spinoff. Muchos kilos, Mishaner and Timmy, my band, the big guys. All right, the news coming up here at 3 o'clock. After 3 o'clock, I'm going to tell you about the movie I cried in last night. Uh, a little more movie talk still to come. It's a good movie, though. I would really recommend it for everybody. Family viewing especially. It's got a great message. I'll tell you all about it, okay? So stay tuned for that. And also, the CEO of Red River Co-op, Doug Weeb, will join us. The Red River Co-op has grocery expansion plans, and Doug will tell us about those coming up next hour as well. The final hour of Hal Anderson Afternoons here for a Tuesday. Hal on CJOB. Thank you very much, Diana. 3.06, final hour here. And uh, coming up, the movie that made me cry big time, like a baby. Last night I cried like a baby. Not terribly proud of that, Ah, but come on. If you know me at all by now, you know that I'm not afraid to show my emotions. Boy, speaking of emotional, high-profile civil rights activists were on Capitol Hill today to denounce the Trump administration's policy of family separations at the border with Mexico. Reverend Al Sharpton says he's all for proper immigration, but there's nothing proper about taking children from their parents. He calls the policy bigoted. The NAACP Legal Defense Fund is demanding that President Donald Trump stop the separations. Now, he likes to, well, I'll let you hear what he says in a second, Trump. He wants his wall. He's using this. I'm guaranteeing, I, I really feel like he's he's using this as a bargaining chip. It's terrible, but he's using it as a bargaining chip. He wants money for his wall, and I think he sees this as, as his way uh, to get it. But, of course, he can tra- uh, change the policy. But here is what President Trump said today. He says you have to take the children away to prosecute the parents. Listen. We have to get the Democrats to 
go ahead and uh, work with us, because as a result of Democrat-supported loopholes in our federal laws, most illegal immigrant families and minors from Central America who arrive unlawfully at the border cannot be detained together or removed together, only released. These are crippling loopholes that cause family separation, which we don't want. As a result of these loopholes, roughly half a million illegal immigrant family units and minors from Central America have been released into the United States since 2014 at unbelievably great taxpayer expense. Nobody knows how much we're paying for this monstrosity that's been created over the years. Legislation that nobody has any idea what they're doing. They don't even know what it means. And you have to see this. It's a mile high. Child smugglers exploit the loopholes, and they gain illegal entry into the United States, putting countless children in danger on the perilous trek to the United States. They come up through Mexico. Mexico does nothing for us. You hear it here. They do nothing for us. They could stop it. They have very, very strong laws. Try staying in Mexico for a couple of days. See how long that lasts. Okay? That is President Donald Trump on what's happening on uh, the border. Mexico and U.S. children uh, being taken from their parents as they enter into the U.S. illegally uh, from Mexico. All right. Now, the movie that I really enjoyed last night, I was sort of indifferent to it. I'm, I'm, I'm not crazy about movies that are based on on real stories. But I've seen this one a few times and um, uh, or, you know, trailers and clips for it. And I thought, yeah. And my wife says, let's watch this one. I said, okay. So we watched it last night. It's called I Can Only Imagine. And it's about, well, let me play a clip first of all. Here's a clip. It's about a, a guy and uh, his dad. And his dad was a horrible guy. His dad beat him as a kid. And I'll tell you the rest of the story. But here is a, a clip from the movie. He's now come back home. Uh, his dad thinks they're going to make up. And uh, the kid is still very angry with his dad. Listen. What are you doing? So what is this? I, I, I wrote you some letters. Did you get them? Yeah. Threw them away. Did you read them? Nope. Oh. Um, I thought that's why you came back last night, huh? Oh, I, well. I was just trying to make a memory. That's all. That's well, kind of hard for me to do, Dad. Because all the memories that we have together are bad. Dennis Quaid uh, playing the, the mean dad there, the old dad, who at that point had cancer and he was dying. Anyhow, uh, the movie is called I Can Only Imagine, and it's actually based on a real story. It's about a guy named Bart Millard, and he wrote a song called I Can Only Imagine. And here is a clip of, and it's uh, the most popular religious song of all time. And you'll know it when you hear it, I think. And even if you're, you know, not a believer in God or you're not a terribly religious person, this movie, I can only imagine, just has a wonderful message about hope and how people can change. Anyhow, here is the real 
Bart Millard, the guy whose the story is based on, here he is explaining how the song came to be. This is the real guy. And then into the song, I can only imagine. Check the movie out. You'll like it. It's great. I cried. The kids will like it. It's got a good message. Take a listen. This is the real Bart Millard talking about the song, I Can Only Imagine, and where it came from. Well, my uh, parents divorced when I was uh, three, and my mom remarried when I was in third grade and moved away. And so um, I have a brother that's five years older. We They decided that we would live with my dad. And people didn't realize how abusive my dad was, especially towards me for whatever reason. And so there wasn't many weeks where I don't remember being not being beaten three or four times a week. Mm. And um, if he had a bad day, he took it out on me. Then my freshman year in high school, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And the crazy thing is, is that I was kind of given this front row seat to see uh, you know, him transform from this monster to a man that was desperately and passionately in love with Jesus. Mm. So much so, but by the time he passed away, my freshman year in college, in those four or five years, like he was the godless man I ever knew, like, and, and truly my best friend. And so at his gravesite, my grandmother, leaned over and said, I can only imagine what your dad's seeing now. And I, at 19, I became obsessed with that, this, the, the idea of heaven. You know, for me, it was, it was almost like OCD, like thinking of heaven, what he, where he is now was better than looking at an empty bedroom. Hmm. And so if I had a pen in my hand, it, you know, I would write, I can only imagine anything I get my hands on. You know, a couple years after he passed, you know, we'd started Mercy Me and then we were, I had an independent record and needed one more song. And had like three journals and was literally trying to find a blank page to start writing on. I couldn't find, every page had some version of imagine, I can only imagine on every page. And so I was frustrated at first, I need a blank page. And then I realized, okay, God, I get it. And, and um, it took me about 10 minutes to write, even though it'd been in my heart for quite some time. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. song and the movie are called I Can Only Imagine. Great song, great movie. I, I just can't say enough about this. I even get choked up just listening to that song right now. It's just a really, really good movie. We've got to take a break. Traffic and weather on the way. Hal Anderson on CJOB. And uh, joining us now, the CEO of Red River Co-op, Doug Weeb, is on the phone. Good afternoon, Doug. Hi, how are you, Hal? Great. Thank you for doing this. Um, uh, tell me about your uh, plans for expansion in the grocery business. 
Well, we've acquired the three marketplace stores from Federated Co-op, so the store in Stonewall, uh, Selkirk, and, uh, and uh, sorry, I'm drawing a blank here, and Lorette, sorry. And uh, so we take over those stores uh, starting next month, and uh, we'll be converting them over to Red River Co-op locations where uh, members will be able to earn patronage and then get cash back. Yeah, I, I think Winnipeggers and, and Manitobans like that. Eh? They like getting something back, don't they? They definitely do. And, you know, Red River's been a success story for a lot of years, and we hope that continues with uh, this next foray into food. So we, we've doubled our size, and uh, we're excited about uh, taking on this new venture. What about inside the city of Winnipeg, inside the perimeter, Doug? Any plans to grow there as well? Uh, we are looking at other alternatives or other markets right now. We do have a very small footprint in the city of Winnipeg with three stores in kind of the southern part of the city. So we know we need to expand our uh, our locations. Uh, so we'd like to get, you know, a, a broader spectrum of uh, representation for our membership across the city. So, yeah, definitely we need to look at expansion. Boy, it seems to me uh, the grocery business is really competitive these days, eh? There's no doubt, ifs, ands, or buts. It's it's a very tough business, and uh, so yeah. So you you do need some size in order to uh, compete, and uh, you know we've kind of got our 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 management team in place. So any volume that we can spread our costs over just helps us to make uh, make us that much more profitable. Yeah, but I mean, it, it seems like there are more players. So I, I guess the opportunity is there to to do good business. Eh, you've just got to be uh, one of the better uh, grocery outlets. Yeah, I think the the key for groceries is yeah, you want to make sure you're you're there for in terms of customer service, in terms of fresh, and I think we're uh, we're hitting the mark on both of those. And you know, uh, we are a local business, which I think uh, resonates as well. And yeah. we uh, definitely are the leader when it comes to supporting local businesses in the city of Winnipeg. So. I think we've got a winning combination that seems to be working for us. With these rural locations now, any new jobs there or just saving the jobs that were existing? Uh, Well, definitely saving the jobs that are existing, and I guess time will tell. Uh, We think there's opportunities to to build that business. You know, right now those stores are are not in the greatest shape, so we're going to be spending some money on renovating each of those facilities over time, and to give them kind of the look that we have at, at our most recently upgraded store in Southdale. And we're just starting our Grant Park project here in the coming weeks. So we'll have two of our three in the city done, and we're planning to hopefully get into St. Vitale in 2019 and get that store renovated as well. Doug, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Al. Doug Weeb, CEO of Red River Co-op, adding three stores outside the perimeter. We're going to take a break here. Uh, check the forecast again for you in a moment here. Uh, we've got sports coming up and the news at 3.30. And then Hal Anderson afternoon, Afternoons continues here on CJOB. And we still have more winning, too, by the way. Um, we gave away... What did we give away, Jeff, today? I can't remember. Oh, uh, the Craig Ferguson tickets are gone, so we still have Melissa Etheridge tickets. That's correct. Yes, we played Pick the Ticket earlier, so Craig Ferguson gone. Melissa Etheridge tickets still up for grabs. We'll do that in the final half hour here on CJOB.